Hey everyone, this is Dr. Nick Hoffman at the Marist School. Welcome to Tales from the Social Studies Department, the podcast where the students tell you the stories that they wish were on the curriculum. In 1929, a former renowned Hollywood screenwriter received visions during his sleep from mystical figures. The figures informed him of an economic crisis that would plunge the world into poverty in the near future. In the wake of this crisis, a world leader would emerge, a former painter. When this leader entered power, the spirits encouraged him to form a Christian militia and seize power in the United States. By the time that the Great Depression went from prophecy to fact, William Dudley Pelly decided to reveal his vision of the leader who would come and save the world. In 1933, as former painter Adolf Hitler ascended to the chancellorship in Germany, Pelly announced the formation of the Silver Legion, a group of Hmong Americans that tried best to emulate the policies of Hitler's Germany. On this episode of Tales from the Social Studies Department, prepare for this deep dive into the life of Pelly and the formation of his dream, an American fascist monarchy. Pelly was born in 1890 to a Methodist pastor in Massachusetts. His father gave him the platform to be a voracious reader and writer, and to speak passionately about what he believes in. In 1909, he started his own journal, where he would question the role of religion in American society. He gained an audience with his writing skills and his opinions. His journal eventually became featured in the Chicago Tribune. Eventually, the Methodist Church hired him to study missionaries around the world. Woodrow Wilson in 1918 would order thousands of American troops to fight in the Russian Civil War against the communist Bolsheviks on the side of a pro-monarchy white Russian side. Along with these troops, the Red Cross would send humanitarian aid, and Pelly joined these efforts as a journalist, making reports for the Associated Press and cementing his deep hatred of communism which he believed was a part of a growing Jewish conspiracy. Upon returning to the United States in 1921, he sold one of his stories to Hollywood, divorced his wife, and moved to Hollywood to embark on a career in film writing. His writing skills proved valuable, and he went on to generate a small fortune writing over two dozen films, and partied hard in Hollywood. By 1927, Pelly started to go off the rails. He sold everything in Hollywood and moved into a small cabin in Altadena, a small town in the hills of Los Angeles, a rural backwater in the 20s. He began to reevaluate his life, seeing each of his failures as a conspiracy against him by the Jews in the film industry. And then the visions began. Pelly emphasized the sense of physical movement in the early part of his vision. This is how he distinguished it from a dream. He wrote that between 3 and 4 in the morning, he felt something, a physical sensation which he could best describe as a combination of a heart attack and apoplexy. Next, he felt himself plunging down and removed from his body and yet, at the same time, describes all his sensations as bodily. the ethereal feeling, he felt he was whirling madly like a plane in a tailspin. After this tailspin, he came to a stop, held by strong hands supporting his weight. This was the two figures that gave him insight into the future. Throughout this early stage, he sent, his sense of individuality remained. 
represented by his continued use of sensory descriptors to await his journey. While his first account of his vision lacks the racism of his latter version, it still closely ties spiritual identity with the physical body. At no point does he posit a radical separation between body and soul. His description for the next stage of his journey became less jumbled. Pelly had arrived in heaven, or an intermediate stage, station. He gave his reader a sense of the geography of the heavenly place. A marble-titled portico looks out on a clear-as-Roman pool, which Pelly viewed from a marble slab. Pelly descended into the pool and felt somehow clothed by its waters. As he did so, people streamed into the patio, descending likewise into the inexpressible turquoise of the pool. Throughout the whole affair, Pelly was overcome by a kindness, a courtesy, and a friendship that felt magnetic. If one wanted to read this version of the mystic vision for fascist undertones, this would be a good place to look. Pelly described this world as with no misfits, no tense countenances, no sour leers, no preoccupied bruquesness or physical handicap. While the reference is, of course, slightly anachronistic, Pelly's dream of a world free of antisocial elements or the physically handicapped reads as distinctly sinister in the aftermath of Hitler's mass murder of the handicapped, the antisocial, and the workshop. Pelly's ideal of a nation free of conflict and deformity would later form an important part of his far-right politics. As abruptly as his vision began, it ended. With a flat metallic automatic sensation, Pelly felt jolted back into his physical body back in Altadena, flanked by his dog. His mystic vision was over. His life would never be the same. The day after he had these visions, he felt great, and his friends reported him to look like a younger version of himself. Kelly eventually started conducting seances in order to better understand the figures and have more insight into the future. In 1929, Pelly would write about his experiences, move to New York, and amass a following of around 10,000 who would come to him for spiritual advice. Pelly would later move out of New York City and form a college and press company known as Galahad to spread his teachings. In accordance with the instructions from the spirits, when Adolf Hitler seized power in 1933, Pelly announced the formation of the Silver Legion, the first true fascist party in the United States. The organization sought to follow the policies of Hitler's Germany and Benito Mussolini's Italy. The organization had a uniform which modeled the uniforms of Hitler's brown shirts. A silver shirt, hence the name, a blue tie, a campaign hat, and blue trousers. The uniform also bore the insignia of the group, a huge red L, standing for love, loyalty, and liberation. Pelly would travel around the country, selling Americans and states on the idea of the Silver Legion, a party that stood for anti-Semitism, anti-communism, and for the formation of a Christian militant dictatorship. He claimed he would save the United States from Jews, just as other fascist leaders claimed they would as well. The Silver Legion would combine nationalism, theocracy, and white supremacy into one force. Pelly, in fact, wanted to be called the Chief, much like the titles of Hitler and Mussolini, Der Führer and El Duce, respectively. His movement could be considered semi-successful. Considering how radical his ideas were, in fact, there was a chapter of the Silver Legion established in every single U.S. state, with membership peaking at an astonishing 15,000 members. Pelly even had his own religion to the party, 
He introduced a cult of Christianity to his party members. Instead of Satan being the evil force in his religion, the so-called Dark Souls were enemies of the religion. Jews, communists, and Catholics, specifically those who believe in papism. Pelley also hated Franklin Delano Roosevelt for the advantage the New Deal gave the minorities and other groups at that time. Before 1935, he was always openly against Roosevelt and his writings in the Galahad Press. But in 1935, he started the Christian Party under the false guise of, of protecting the true nature of the Silver Legion as a political entity. He tried to run against FDR in a 1936 election, but lost, only receiving 1,600 votes. After he ran in office, Pelley engaged in a long dispute against the House Un-American Activities Committee after the government digged deeper into his organization. In 1940, his compound and property in Asheville, North Carolina was raided, and he and his followers were arrested by the government. Even though Pelley's finances were down after the invasion of his compound, he still continued to oppose FDR and the government. Although the Silver Legion would disband in 1941 after the raid and after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, along with the realization that the Legion could never gain power in the United States, Pelley would write in his magazine about how bad FDR was and about the need for a Christian monarchy in the United States. However, in his news article, he claimed that the U.S. casualties at Pearl Harbor were higher than they were reported in the news, and he criticized the government so badly that he got their attention and was arrested in Indiana and tried with 12 counts of sedition and high treason. Even though one of the charges against him was dropped, Pelley was convicted of most of these counts of treason, mostly stemming from making seditious statements and for obstructing military recruitment and for fermenting insurrection within the military. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison. In 1950, after eight years of imprisonment, Pelley was sent out to live on parole on two conditions, no political activity, and he must stay in central Indiana. Pelley died in his home in Noblesville, Indiana on June 30, 1965, ending the life of one of the first American fascists. The fact that Pelley's dream even was considered in America by 15,000 people is ridiculous. Pelley was by all accounts insane. He was pathologically suspicious, paranoid, hateful, and racist. He believed he would be remembered forever for his actions, but he's been completely forgotten. It's crazy that a man like Pelley isn't remembered, but I guess that's what happened when your spiritual dream never becomes a reality. Thank you to everyone that listened to this episode of Tales from a Social Studies Apartment. I wanted to give a special shout out to Carson Holy Moly and Airtone for the music used in this video. And that's it from Sam Gibson signing off. Tales from the Social Studies Department is a podcast of the Marist Podcasting Experiment and executive produced by Dr. Nick Hoffman. All views expressed herein are the views of the podcaster and not of Marist School, Dr. Hoffman, or the Social Studies Department at Marist School. Thank you.